Exposition of the Apostles' Creed, Section 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Warner. Exposition of the Apostles' Creed by James Dodds. Introduction. While the disciples had Jesus with them, there was no occasion for a formal summary of the doctrines which his followers were called to accept and to maintain. He was present to resolve all doubts and settle all difficulties, so that when their faith was assailed, or their teaching impugned, they could refer to him. Then, as now, faith had him for its object, with this difference, that he was visibly at hand to counsel and to direct, while now he is passed into the heavens and guides his people into all truth, not by personal instruction, but by his invisible though ever-present spirit. Another reason why Jesus gave his disciples no creed may be found in the fact that his work was not finished until he had laid down his life, and that no creed could have been satisfactory which did not cover those great unfulfilled events in his history that lie at the foundation of the Christian religion. Jesus did indeed require belief in himself as a condition on which healing and salvation were bestowed. Unbelief hindered his work, while faith in his messianic claims and mission never failed to secure a rich blessing to those who confessed him. The faith which he recognized was not the acceptance and confession of a summary of doctrine such as any of the creeds now existing, but a simple statement of belief in himself as the Son of God and the Messiah. On one occasion only does he appear to have called for a confession which went further than this. When having declared to Martha the great doctrine of resurrection, he put to her the question, Believest thou this? After his death and resurrection, when Jesus charged his disciples to preach the gospel, he bade them teach their followers to observe all things whatsoever he had commanded them. The apostles, accordingly, appear to have furnished the leaders of the churches they planted with summaries of doctrine, such as we find in the fifteenth chapter of Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. Paul seems to refer to such a summary when he writes to the Romans commending them for obedience to the form of doctrine which was delivered them, and when he bestows his benediction on those Galatians who walked according to this rule. It was, doubtless, such a compendium of doctrine he had in view when he charged Timothy to keep that which was committed to his trust. Contrasting this deposit with profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. The bearing of this charge is made more emphatic when it is repeated by the apostle in connection with the exhortation, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. It would thus appear that from apostolic times there existed a form of words of the character of a creed, which, for some reason, came to be jealously guarded and concealed from all who were not Christians. It was perhaps Paul's reference to the summary of doctrine as a deposit to be carefully kept that led the early converts to regard it as a private possession, a trust to be hidden in the heart and covered from unfriendly eyes. The apostle did not mean that it should be so regarded, but this interpretation given to his words, or some other cause, led to its being used as a watchword rather than as an open confession, the consequence of which is that in the writings of the earliest Christian fathers, no statement of doctrines corresponding to a creed is found. The absence of creeds or of allusions to them in the oldest Christian treatises gives seeming point to the objection urged by Professor Harnick and others against the Apostles' Creed as now held and interpreted by the Church, that it is not a correct summary of early Christian belief. 
that such objections are not well founded will become apparent as the various articles of the creed are considered in the light of apostolic teaching the absence of creeds in early christian writings is sufficiently accounted for by the care with which the summary was cherished as a secret trust to be treasured in the memory but not to be written or otherwise profaned by publicity the word creed derived from the latin credo i believe is in its ecclesiastical sense used to denote a summary or concise statement of doctrines formulated and accepted by a church although usually connected with religious belief it has a wider meaning and designates the principles which an individual or an associated body so holds that they become the springs and guides of conduct some sects of christians reject formal creeds and profess to find the scriptures sufficient for all purposes that creeds are meant to serve the christian religion rests on christ and the final appeal on any question of doctrine must be to the scriptures which testify of him but it is found that very different conclusions are often reached by those who profess to ground their beliefs upon the same passages of the word of god almost every heresy that has disturbed the unity of the church has been advocated by men who appealed to scripture in confirmation of the doctrines they taught the true teaching of the word of god is gathered from careful and continuous searching of the scriptures and there is danger of fatal error when conclusions are drawn from isolated passages interpreted in accordance with preconceived opinions it has been found not only expedient but needful that the christian churches should set forth in creeds and confessions the doctrines which they believe the scriptures affirm they are bound not only to accept scripture as the rule of faith but to make known the sense in which they understand it as unlearned and unstable men rest and subvert the sacred writings it is fitting that those who are learned and not unstable should publish sound expositions of their contents in the light of creeds converts are enabled to test their own position and to put to proof the claims of those who profess to be teachers of christian doctrine one of the most widely accepted of these forms is the apostles creed so called not because it was drawn up by or in the time of the apostles although there is a tradition to the effect that each of them contributed a clause but because it is in accordance with the sum of apostolic teaching the history of this creed is not easily traced the care with which it was guarded excluded it from the writings of the early fathers and it is impossible therefore to assign to their proper dates with certainty some of the articles of which it is composed this however is evident that it came gradually into existence clauses being added from time to time to guard the faithful against false doctrine or to enable them to defend the orthodox belief it appears to have been the general creed of the christian church in a form very similar to that which it now bears from the close of the second century at that time and afterwards it served not only as a test of christian doctrine but was also used by catechists in training and instructing candidates for admission to the church it is sometimes urged as an objection to this creed that it is not a sufficiently comprehensive summary of christian doctrine those who object to it on this ground should consider the purpose of creeds they were not meant to cover the whole field of christian faith but to fortify believers against the teaching of heretics the apostles creed was not intended and does not profess to state all the things that christians ought to believe there is no reference in it to scripture to inspiration to prayer or to the sacraments it sets forth in a few words distinct and easily remembered the existence and relations to men of the three persons of the godhead those facts and truths on which all doctrine and duty rest and from which they find development it is especially objected that there is no reference in this creed to the atoning work of the lord jesus christ but though not directly expressed this doctrine is really and substantially contained in it 
the creed is the confession of those whose bond of union is common faith in the lord jesus christ as their saviour the articles which treat of him and of his sufferings and work are intelligible only to those who believe in the reality and efficacy of the atonement the creed contains twelve articles and to each of these and to every part of it the words i believe belong one article relates to god the father six to god the son one to god the holy ghost and four to the holy catholic church and the privileges secured to its members these articles are one i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth two and in jesus christ his only son our lord three who was conceived by the holy ghost born of the virgin mary four suffered under pontius pilate was crucified dead and buried five he descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead six he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of god the father almighty seven from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead eight i believe in the holy ghost nine the holy catholic church the communion of saints ten the forgiveness of sins eleven the resurrection of the body twelve and the life everlasting in estimating the value of creeds in the early ages of the christian church it is important to bear in mind that the converts were almost wholly dependent on oral instruction for their knowledge of divine truth copies of the old and new testaments existed in manuscript only these were few in number and the cost of production placed them beyond the reach of the great majority a single copy served for a community or district in which the hebrew or the greek tongue was understood but in localities where other languages were in use the living voice was needed to make revelation known it is only since the invention of printing and the application of the steam engine to the economical and rapid production of books and since modern linguists have multiplied the translation of the bible that it has become in their own tongues accessible to believers in all lands available for private perusal and family reading it was therefore a necessity that christians should possess a form of sound words comprehensive enough to embody the leading doctrines of christianity yet brief enough to be easily commended to memory end of section two